Please open now to Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 11. We will be preaching just one verse, verse 20 today. And if you're new to Manoa Community Church, this is the preaching series that we were in before Christmas. It's a preaching series called Faith. Because Hebrews chapter 11 has been called the Hall of Faith, where the author of Hebrews is challenging and exhorting Jewish Christians, Hebrew Christians, to persevere in their faith because following Jesus is hard. Amen? And so he says, don't give up on Jesus. He talks about the faith of the Old Testament saints, these characters of old who were faithful to God, believed God, embraced the promises of God, and what we can learn from their faith so that we can persevere in our faith today. So we started with Abel. He was the first martyr. We made it all the way up to Abraham and Sarah before we put a bow on the series and pushed pause for Christmas. Well, as we pick things up today in verse 20, we're going to be looking at, goes Abraham, Isaac. So today is all about Isaac's faith. And would you believe the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he only gets one verse, one verse in the hall of faith, and it's here what we just read in our public reading of scripture, where he blesses his sons. And yet, Though we're only looking at this one verse, I'm going to pull in some of Genesis. This affords us the opportunity to learn our Old Testaments a little bit more. And so we're going to have a full sermon, of course, and look at the faith of Isaac, and I'm calling it faith for the future. I will be reading verses 1 and 2 to set up the context, and then I'm also going to read verses 21 and 22, though I'll preach them in the future, because these three verses form a cluster in the argument that the author of Hebrews is making. So follow along, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll drop down to verse 20, our verse for the sermon, and verses 21 and 22. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. Now verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Faith for the future. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for your holy, perfect word. We thank you for the faith of the saints of old who've gone before us, Lord, both for their faults as well as their virtues. As we look at them, we see our own weaknesses, our own sins, our own foibles, but also the faith that we can emulate in their lives. And so, God, we know that you place these characters in this hall of faith so that we might admire their faith and so that we might imitate their faith. So as we look closer at Isaac this morning, I pray that his life would inspire us so that we might have faith for the future like he. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the 80s, and I'm a child of the 80s, a trilogy came out. It was called Back to the Future. Here we got a picture of it. You remember this? Back to the Future. Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, would travel all over the past and the future in these three movies. Do you guys have the picture up there? Go ahead and put the picture up there. Did it not come through? Is it up there? Do you guys see it? 
Oh, it is not up there. All right. Well, you have to picture in your mind the DeLorean. Do you guys remember the DeLorean? This kind of souped up car where the, the, uh, the doors go up instead of out and that sort of thing. And they're putting all sorts of produce in there so that it gets the juice it needs to travel back to the future. In episode one or the first uh, series, part one, he travels into the past so that he can... Uh, try to fix things between his parents, right? And in so doing, almost erases himself from the present. And in part two, then, he has to go into the future, we are told, because his own child ends up in prison through some riffraff, and so he needs to go and protect him so he doesn't destroy his family legacy. He travels into the future. Now, it's a fun uh, movie, and it's fun to think about go, traveling in time. And we are fascinated as creatures. I love the words who are given even today about the alpha and omega, right? God is in the beginning and the end, and here we are, this little blip in the present. And we have a preoccupation, a, a fascination with the future, but the reality is insofar as we know, though God is in the future and in the past, we are trapped in the present, and that is where we will die. But there's a trilogy placed into Hebrews chapter 11 with Isaac here and then Jacob and Joseph for the future. In all three of these characters, this is going to form a little bit of a mini-series. We'll look at each one in separate sermons. But the author of Hebrews doesn't look at the whole of their lives. He looks at the end of their lives. Did you notice that in those three verses? He looks at the very end of their lives and their faith for the future and what God will do after they are dead. So, for example, we saw what would happen to the bones. Turning back here, verse 22, to Joseph. Once I die, the promised land waits for me and my bones. Take my bones with them after I'm dead. He's claiming the promise of God for a land that he is not going to get to see. But he wants to make sure that his bones follow him there. Verse 21, Jacob dies and blesses his 12 sons. And today's passage of interest, Isaac invokes future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Towards the end of his life, when his eyes are dim, which plays out in some really interesting ways, if you know the passage, because he can't tell the difference between his sons, and he smells them wrong. We'll talk about that in the passage. And puts the blessing onto one child rather than the other child, and it sets the trajectory for the rest of their lives. But really, as we'll see, this was preordained by God all along. And in all three of these characters, and you guys can pull down the first point, I'm not there yet. All three of these characters, we see that they die, but they do not die in despair, but they die in hope. That death cannot kill the promises of God. And even as they stare death down in the face and see their own impending death, they also have a vision for the life and future and faith and their children beyond their own lives. And they speak them into reality and they claim them in the present for themselves and for their offspring. Death cannot kill the promises of God. Amen? Amen. Death cannot kill them. Faith for the future. And so if you are taking notes, I have three points under Isaac's life for faith for the future. Faith for the future, first, praise God's promises. So it praise God's promises. Secondly, speaks God's blessing. That's the verse 20 we'll talk about. And then embraces God's sovereignty. So I'll go through them slowly, but let's begin with our first point. Faith for the future, praise God's promises. Now I want to bring in verse 
19 through 23 of chapter 25 of Genesis to make this point, and they will be on the screen, so you don't need to flip there. Go ahead and put Genesis 25 on the screen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Underline, pray to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. Underline, granted his prayer. Circle the word prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Faith for the future praise God's promises. Now, before we look at verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 11 and where he speaks God's blessing over his sons, I want to give you some backstory on Isaac's life. Now, you'll remember Abraham and Isaac. Isaac is the miracle child. Remember, Abraham and Sarah are in their old age, unable to conceive themselves, and that God promises through Sarah his offspring will be, and in her old age, she gives birth to Isaac. And Isaac is a child of faith. We see him growing up in the family of faith. We also see him carrying the wood. You'll remember this. Up the hill on Mount Moriah with his father. Close to being sacrificed. Father, where is the, where is the lamb? He says, God will provide the lamb. Both father and son walking by faith throughout their entire lives. Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac, as he gets to be an older man, now, there's less time. He's one of the characters that lives the longest in the patriarchs, but we have less content on him. But we pick it up where we just saw in chapter 25, where he's 40 years old and still has no wife. And so Abraham sends his servant back to his family's household and scoops up Rebekah. You'll have to check that out on your own. But basically, he sends them on this mission to retrieve a wife for him. And Isaac falls madly in love with her and let's God choose his wife. I mean, that's a step of faith. Wouldn't you agree, everybody? I mean, you just come back, there's your wife. All right. You know, the servant brought her back. This is it. And by the way, his wife, Rebecca, exercises a lot of faith too. Servant comes and says, hey, my master sent me to go get a wife. Hey, do you want to go with him? I mean, he asked the parents. She's like, yes. Let's do this. <laughs> if God is in it, I am in it, right? Like, I am all in. I mean, if they could make marriages work like that, I think we can do it all right too, right? We have shared faith. And we got to pick our own wives and husbands, amen? God picked their spouse and they are all in. He is 40. She's probably late teens, early 20s. We don't know the full age discrepancy, but she's still living in her father's household, of course. She comes and they get married. He's 40. And she's barren. Again, now, she's not old like Sarah was, and yet we see by the time the twins are in utero, Isaac is 60. Did you catch the math there? He's 40 when they're married, 60 when she's pregnant, which means that she was about 20. She's now about 40 herself, right? Which is still not a miracle per se, but I mean, they've been waiting one year 
two years, no babies yet, three years, five years, eight years, 10 years, 15 years. And what do they do during that time period? We are told in the text in Genesis 25, verse 21, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Faith for the future praise God's promise. Now follow me here. We're going to talk about the sovereignty of God in his life and in this passage because it is strong and it is unchangeable and at times it is uncomfortable, right? This is where we get passages like Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Like we had to wrestle with the sovereignty of God all the way back to in utero, right? And when we wrestle with the sovereignty of God, we are tempted at those moments to say, if God is sovereign, if this is fixed, then why does anything matter? Why should I even pray? It doesn't make a difference. Prayer doesn't change things. It just changes me, right? Like we start to fall into that paradigm. In one sense, you say, I suppose so from an eternal perspective, but I'm living in 2023, right? And I got things to do. And I got to get out there and operate in God's world faithful to him in that time. And I'll tell you what he doesn't do with the promises of God because the promises of God have come to him, right? From Abraham to him, that he's going to have land and he's going to have offspring like the stars, right? Millions and billions, like the sea, like the sand on the seashore, if you can count them and you can't. He's just one guy. And after year 16 and 17, and 18, I don't know what you'd be thinking. I'd be getting a little bit nervous, even if I believe in the sovereignty of God. There's two places we can go that are both wrong with the sovereignty of God. One is we start to despise God and his sovereignty, right? Like this did not play out how I wanted to, so we can get angry at God. We can also get so fatalistic that we do the let go. and We can become totally passive. What will be, will be. I have no part to play. I'm just a cog in a cosmic wheel, right? That is not the operation of faith in his life, though. What does he do? He says, she doesn't have a baby. There's a promise to be claimed. I will pray into year 19, into year 20, until that baby is conceived. Do you see it? Say yes. He leans in and he prays more fervently. He says, if this is what God has called us to do, then we have some babies to make, right? We're going to come together often. We're not going to give up on this marriage. We're not going to give up on each other. And we're not going to give up on God. But just because we know what God has promised doesn't mean we become passive and stop praying, right? We pray his promises in the future, the future promises. We pray the future promises into our present reality, amen? We are people of prayer. Prayer is God's ordained means to bring about his sovereign purposes in the world today. There is power in prayer. Do you believe it? Say yes. Power in prayer. The Lord heard his prayer. It's put right into your Bible so that you, wouldn't, you would know God opened her womb. The promises of God are fulfilled through our lives through the power of prayer. And we see a man of prayer committed to prayer following God with his prayers, praying the future into the present experience. If you grow weary in prayer, I can relate. Praying for something for a year or two. 
we, I've said this often in this series, the thing that I'm being stretched in is patience. Because <laughs> I think about prayer in terms of ask and it shall be given, right? Like, I want it now. But Hebrews 11 keeps stretching us to say sometimes we wait two decades <laughs> and we pray for two decades and we keep praying for two decades. I want you to personally persevere in prayer, church. But also, I want to remind you that we pray together. He prayed together with his wife. I'm sure of it. And also, we pray together as a church. And so, we always have prayer up front. And if you are weary in praying, let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. And let us add our faith to yours. So, after church today, like every Sunday, please come forward if you want prayer. So, that's the first thing we learn from his, uh, his life is faith for the future praise God's promises. We pray the future promises into our present reality. Sometimes, as we see with Abraham, also into future generations. Secondly, faith for the future not only prays God's promises, but speaks God's blessings. Faith for the future speaks God's blessings. This is verse 20, our main text from Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, excuse me, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. We speak God's blessings. Now, the language there of he invoked, do you see that in your ESV? If you're using the ESV, it says, by faith, Isaac invoked. That's what the language I'm using of speaking. It's this Greek word, you, you a galeo. It's hard to say Greek words, you a galeo. If you, it sounds familiar, it's where we get the word eulogy, right? Like we tell eulogies often at funerals. This idea of a consecration, asking God's blessing, bestowing God's blessings. Many translations, NIV, KGV, just said he blessed them. I mean, it didn't even say he invoked blessing. He just, he blessed them. He spoke God's blessings over them. Now, there are different ways we could do this. We could say, oh, bless your heart and bless you. And I'm, This is a different kind of blessing, I mean, we'll, we'll look at this, this point and the next one as well. This is an irrevocable blessing. This is a blessing that locks things in and fulfills God's purposes in their lives. As we see from earlier in Genesis chapter 27, our public reading of Scripture, when he speaks his blessing to Jacob and to Esau, and look briefly, so Jacob, he says, verse 28, I'll put it back up on the screen. He says, may God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's son bow to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. If this sounds like an echo of another blessing, this is the Abrahamic blessing, right, given to Abraham in Genesis 12, being repeated, kind of being filled out a little bit more, and also being handed off to his son, and we realize it was meant for Esau. He wanted to give it to Esau. He actually gave it to Jacob. So Esau comes back and says, God, Dad, you forgot me. That was for me. I was going out because he was going out to hunt for some game. His father sent him out for the game and said, when you come back, I'll bless you. Well, mom got wind of this. Mom wanted it to go the other way around. So she cooked it, brought her other son in and her brother's clothes. And he smelled his brother's clothes. He said, this is it. And he blessed him. And then Esau came in. And he said, whoa, what just happened? And Esau says, me, 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 me. And Esau unfortunately gets a bit of an anti-blessing. Now it is a full of, uh, 
away from the land and away from, you know, it's a, not quite a curse per se, but it is an anti-blessing. But verse 40 does have a blessing for him. It says, by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But listen to the but. Here's a big but. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now, Esau really becomes a type of reprobate in our Bibles. I mean, here's the guy who sold his birthright for some stew. You remember that? This is the earlier time where Jacob got his blessing per se. Not the blessing, but the birthright. He's like, I'm so hungry, I'll give you anything. He's like, I'll I'll take your birthright. Basically, like, you want to rewrite the will? He's like, I don't care. You can have it all. Just give me that red stuff, right? And the language of red stew or red stuff is Edom. That's where the Edomites come from. So if you hear the Edomites in your Bible, and there's tension between them and the Israelites for the rest of your Bibles, right? And they do become subservient under the Davidic line. But a thousand years later, verse 40 is fulfilled. And under the reign of Joram, they break free from their brother's family, all right? And so even the prophecy there of him breaking free is fulfilled. There's a blessing of deliverance out of that as well. I love this quote from Arthur Pink. I want to read this to you. Uh, It articulates this blessing really well. He says, This blessing was more than a dying father expressing goodwill unto his sons. It was extraordinary. Isaac spoke as a prophet to God, announcing the future of his posterity and the varied portions each should receive. As the mouthpiece of Jehovah, that's the name for God, he did by the spirit of prophecy announce beforehand what should be the particular estate of each of his two sons. And so his words have been fulfilled. Though parents today are not thus normally supernaturally endowed to foretell the future of their children, nevertheless, it is their duty, now follow this, it is their duty and privilege to search the scriptures and ascertain what promises God has left to the righteous and to their seed, to our children, and plead them before him. So here's where he's going with this. Now, you know that we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I do believe that God could still reveal things about the future to us and through us, but that's the exception, not the norm, right? Uh, My calling into ministry had one of those where somebody spoke it over my life and it's being played out right now. But normally, normally I'm not just waking up the Holy Spirit's placing these things for my kids. And yet my Bible and your Bible is full of the promises of God and the blessings of God that are guaranteed to the children of God and their offspring. And what he's saying here is, apart from these supernatural revelations, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, we have so many countless blessings to pronounce and proclaim over one another, especially, by the way, in Jesus' name. And faith for the future doesn't see a future full of curses, but sees a future full of blessings for the people of God. Amen? And we speak them into people's lives. We speak them into people's lives to fortify and strengthen their faith and to remind them of God's truth and promises to them. And that's what we see at the end of his life. He's now getting a special revelation, but he's also speaking truth over his children and repeating the promises of God that were passed to him are now being passed through him to the next generation. I'm so excited, Christmas Day, how many of you brought your kids here to church? Now, I know some of you couldn't, had other family obligations. It's not a moment for guilt. It's not like a passive-aggressive backhand. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, there were a lot of kids here. It actually surprised me. 
But it encouraged me because I see so many moms and dads committed to passing the promises and the blessings of God off to the next generation. We as Americans are very individualistic, aren't we? Sometimes we even see Christian parents take this sort of like, got to let them decide for themselves. It's everybody, you know, everyone makes their own decisions. Yeah, I mean, they will decide for themselves, but that's not where I'm starting, right? I want to see my kids embrace the faith, love Jesus, follow him, and run hard after Jesus, amen? And I'm going to speak those blessings into their lives until they become a reality or those blessings hound them for the rest of their lives, right? They just follow them for the rest of their lives. We are going to bring the blessings of God and speak them into one another's lives. You might say, Pastor, I don't have any kids. You could speak the promises of God. Look to the person to your right and to your left. They need the promises of God. They need to hear the truthfulness of God's blessings and being passed to them. May we be a people, right? The promise of Abraham is you will be blessed to be a blessing. That is fulfilled first in Christ Jesus, but we receive Christ. Now we are blessed in him to be a blessing. And what we see in faith for the future is that in his life, he blesses others. He speaks blessings upon others. You know, I I really believe strongly that what we speak over people has a powerful impact on their lives. And we talked about earlier that we pray God's promises, right? Well, not only do we pray God's promises, that's a vertical, right? Like we pray to God his promises, when we bless people, we take those promises and then we, we fire them off horizontally, right? We take the promises and we give them to our neighbors and those who are in Christ. May we be a people who engage God vertically with his promises, but also then bless others and invoke his blessing upon others. Amen? Faith for the future prays God's promises, speaks God's blessing finally embraces God's sovereignty. Embraces God's sovereignty. Verses 30 through 33 of chapter 27, after he blesses his first son, Jacob, I want you to see the response of Isaac. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? Remember, he's nearly blind at this point. He thought that his other son was Jacob, or excuse me, was Esau. So he says, I'm your son, your firstborn, I'm Esau. Verse 33, then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Listen to this. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Now, this is where this goes, and you need to read it on your own, because otherwise this will turn into an hour-long sermon, and I promise not to do that to you. They go back and forth. He's like, Dad, it's me. He's like, I already gave him the blessing. He will be blessed. Don't you have anything left for me, Dad? Please just cough up a bone, something. Give me anything. That's where this anti-blessing comes with him breaking the yoke at the end. Now, here's what I say about, oh, it didn't update. Use the word embrace God's sovereignty, not trust God's sovereignty, because it's a little bit less. He's not just trusting the sovereignty of God. He's embracing it. Even despite the fact in the moment, it's not what he meant to do, right? 
But here's what he doesn't say. You're right, son. I made a mistake. I can undo this thing. I didn't mean it. God didn't mean it. We can fix this up. You just hold on a minute. God, we got to do a side deal, fix this whole thing up. He is shaking because he realizes that this was God's plan all along, and he played right into God's hands. You say, well, pastor, give me more evidence to just the fact that he's shaking his boots saying it's irrevocable. Well, I set you up because our first point, do you remember when they inquired of the Lord and they said, what is going on in utero? I want to remind you that when they inquired of the Lord, we are told at the very end that two peoples shall be divided within there and the older shall serve the younger. Years ago, mom already heard those words. You got to believe dad always already heard those words. But here's the problem. Isaac likes Esau more. We're not supposed to have favorites, parents, but the Bible pulls back the curtain on some of their vices, right? Rebecca likes the one son more. She likes Jacob. Dad likes Esau. There's a little bit of rivalry going on through the whole family at that point. Mom's on one team. Dad's on the other. He is always rooting despite the prophecy, despite the revelation from the very beginning in utero. This is how it's going to go down. He is resisting the will of God. He's like, I'm rooting for Esau. Esau's got to turn around coming. I'm going to the very end where he can't even see anymore. He's striking the side deal with Esau. And all of a sudden at the very end, and he pronounces the blessing on the younger son, and it all converges. He says, God is sovereign, right? I can't change that. This played out exactly how I was told it was going to play out. Even when I intended to reverse it, I couldn't change it, right? He's shaking his boots because, God, you are so sovereign. You got me, right? You got me. I can't change this. I shouldn't have even tried. I did try. But God got his way all along. There are all sorts of fascinating things to wrestle with, how God uses deception, you know, people's scheming, and all of that is at play in the world to somehow bring about God's good purposes in the end. And you think of the cross of Christ itself, how many evil schemes and plots played out to bring about your deliverance. How many betrayals played out, including through a kiss, to bring about God's perfect plan? God, who is not the author of sin, yet so sovereignly works through all of the details of the world to bring about his divine purposes. In here, at that moment, we see that he, Isaac, embraces God's sovereignty. You know, he believed in God's sovereignty all along. Right? Like, we believe God is sovereign, don't you? Raise your hand if you believe God is sovereign, right? I think you should. Like, it's Christianity 101. God is in control of the whole world. It's one thing to believe it cognitive, you know. It's one thing in the other moment to be like, boom! I just, I just totally see it all. I see him down to the details of my life. I think that's what happened in that moment where at the end of his life he said, God, you have this planned out. And I've spoken that into the future, but this was ordained when they were in the womb. God's plan played out that the older will serve the younger. Faith for the future. Death cannot kill God's promises. You know, and as we bring this first part of this trilogy to a close, I do want to show you the hidden picture of the gospel in even these blessings. 
and even some of what's playing out between the sons because first up, the first blessing given here really is given to Jesus. I mean, it goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to Jesus, right? So when you read these blessings, I want you to read them in light of Jesus. Let the people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over all, right? Everyone will bow down to you. Remember when the kings in the Christmas story come down and bow to Jesus. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. That is ultimately being passed along. It's not just landing on his lap to be held forever. That's going down through King David and all the way to King Jesus, amen? And so the blessings come to us and come to all the world, all the nations. Blessed be everyone who blesses Jesus and cursed be everyone who curses Jesus, but every knee will bow before Jesus, amen? And so Jesus is in this passage and also you are in this passage because the Father has passed his blessing onto you because you are clothed in the Son, right? When he smells you, he smells his only beloved son, amen? And so when he passes his blessings on to you, he passes them rather than the anti-blessing. You get the blessing because you are in the son, amen? And so Jesus Christ has given you all of God's blessings, all of God's favor, and because of Jesus Christ who defeated death, you can have faith for the future now and to eternity, amen? Amen.